I give praise to you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. For although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you have revealed them to little ones. We hear that and we remember the words of Christ also in the Gospel of Matthew. Amen, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So why does Jesus conceive of discipleship as being like a child? Well, think of a child. They want what they want. They do what they want to do. They say what they think. Yes, they have an untempered untempered concupiscence that makes them seem self-centered. But they have no ego. They want to go to McDonald's because to them it tastes good, not because it's a status symbol like a dinner at a fancy restaurant. They say what they think because that's what it really occurs to them to say, not because they are trying to manipulate or impress people. They want the love of mom and dad because that love just feels natural and good, not because they are desperate for affection to try to make up for some deficient sense of self. Now, obviously, St. Paul tells us, when I was a child, I used to talk as a child, think as a child, and reason as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. So there's no question that we are meant to grow in many ways that will cause us to think maturely and to exhibit virtues that would be impossible for a child. But Christ is telling us there is something in being childlike that we need to recover in order to progress as Christian disciples. I think that the key quality that Jesus is talking about in being childlike is this lack of ego or false self. As adults, our true hearts have been overlaid with the things of the world. We've given in to the allurements of sin and the false promises of the world and the devil. Now, hopefully, we are in the practice of confessing our overt sins. But there is still this incrustation that prevents us from tapping into the good that God wants to reveal to us and then further acting upon it. So I think there are two opposite but intrinsically related problems that people often face in trying to live the Christian life. The first tendency is to see everything that we accomplish or hope to accomplish as the work of ourselves, based upon our own merits and powers. The second is to fear a challenge, to be afraid that we are not up to the task that God gives us because we fear that God's grace is not fully operative in our lives. Both are the result of not trusting in or believing sufficiently in God's grace. Both are the results of a distorted ego, one that valuates the self, whether it does so in an, overly po- in an overly positive or in an overly negative way. This is why St. Paul tells us, for if you live according to the flesh, then you will die. In other words, we must live by God's light, not by our own. We must trust both that God has a plan for us and also that he will give us sufficient grace to accomplish that plan. Which doesn't mean that it will be easy, but that it will be possible. Sometimes in the Christian life, discernment can take too much the form of a kind of endlessly morbid introspection. 
in undertaking discernment, many of us can be too concerned with trying to weigh up our strengths and our weaknesses, or our gifts and our shortcomings, or our virtues and our vices, or our likes and our dislikes, or our past successes and failures. By discernment, I don't mean just the type of life vocation decisions that we often think of when we use the word discernment, such as marriage or priesthood or consecrated life. I also mean the day-to-day decisions that everyone makes in living out our Christian faith. When I was in seminary, one of my pastoral assignments was to help out at the Gift of Peace House run by Mother Teresa's Missionaries of Charity. Every other Saturday, myself and a few of my classmates would travel from the seminary to the Gift of Peace House in Northeast DC. It's a residence established in the 1980s to care for elderly and homeless men suffering from AIDS. Now, truth be told, besides a few precautions that we had to take to guard against the possibility of HIV transmission, it probably wasn't that different from many nursing homes. The sisters, as well as the seminarians and the other volunteers, did the normal everyday tasks of caring for the elderly and the infirm, such as preparing their food or helping them dress or changing their bedpans or giving them shaves and haircuts, which is to say that it was not the most pleasant type of work on a sensory level, caring for people whose bodies are breaking down and who can't control their own functions is not for the faint of heart. But my fellow seminarians and I were able to accomplish the tasks that were set before us, most most of us with a kind of grim determination, by figuratively, if not literally, holding our noses. We got through it, and afterwards I probably commended myself for doing the Lord's work for a few hours at a time every other Saturday. And that was the difference between us and the sisters, because this was their vocation. They did this work year-round, day in and day out, hour after hour. No days off, no vacations, just continually serving Christ in the poorest of the poor. But even more profound than that, what was so amazing about the sisters was the joy they radiated in doing these seemingly menial tasks. Every sister smiled, joked, and laughed her way throughout the day interrupted only by the more solemn joy of turning to prayer and to Mass. At times, I felt consoled for my relative inability to find comparable joy in doing this work by telling myself, well, they have a gift or charism that I don't, to care for the poorest of the poor. That's why God called them to this vocation. And there probably is some truth to that. Not everyone is called to do everything. We do have to take stock of who we are before we commit to something. As our Lord said, which of you wishing to construct a tower does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if there is enough for its completion? At the same time, we can't let discernment be an exercise in complacency and self-justification. Because if we are only looking to ourselves rather than trusting in God, who will help us to do what he sets before us, that's exactly what will happen. We will continue, as St. Paul said, to be debtors to the flesh. We will define and limit ourselves through the distorted lenses of sin, the world, and the devil. In order to figure out what God is calling us to do in this life, in this year, in this moment, we need a kind of detachment from ourselves, so to speak. 
There was a great Christian mystic of the 13th century, Meister Eichhardt, who called detachment the greatest and the best virtue, because by it we can discover our true selves, the person we are called to be before God. As St. Francis said, what a man is before God, that is what he is and nothing more. This is why Jesus said to the Father, for although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you have revealed them to little ones. Christ's little ones are not concerned when the world tells them that living a heroic Christian life is impossible. They're not even concerned when their own worldly hearts speak these lies in moments of self-doubt. Instead, they trust in the words of Christ. My yoke is easy and my burden light. God will give us the grace to do whatever it is that he sets before us, whether that's undertaking a vocation such as being a priest or religious, or sticking with a marriage thrown down on difficult times, or being open to having more children than you might think you can handle, or perhaps paying for a Catholic education for your children, even if that entails sacrifices that you don't think you can make or perhaps giving away more in charity than you think you can afford, or undertaking to serve others in a way that you know will challenge you in a way that you don't want to be challenged. But we must always remind ourselves when facing these difficult situations, God will provide. That's not to say that following God's plan won't be hard or burdensome sometimes. But if we look with the eyes of a child, then Christ will reveal God's grace that he is pouring out for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.